forever the hope in my heart. Those words point my heart to uh, Psalm 73, verses 25, 26, and 28. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart, they fail. But you are the strength of my heart. And my portion, that which satisfies me, forever. As for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all of his deeds. Those words speak of the blessed hope that is ours in Jesus that nothing in this world can take from us. He is the God of hope who fills us with all joy and peace as we trust in him that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ makes a difference in the lives of all who come to him in faith. That difference is in time and that difference is for all of eternity. And it's all because of how much he loves us. Now, I'm out, I'm, I'm out of sync. I hadn't done this in a while. Brought three Bibles with me. This is my King James Version that uh, my parents gave me in December, Christmas of uh, 1956 before I was saved the next September of 1957 uh, when I went to semin when I went to college first this is the only book I had to take with me and when I went to seminary I w went in there and there were these guys and they had all these books and this is the only one I had um, it means a lot to me uh, this one is my last study Bible. It was given to me a year ago in June by the men of my Monday night Bible study class at uh, my church in Decatur, Texas. And then another friend um, in Decatur, a 80-something-year-old man who's still a pastor out of a little country church whom I love very much, um, he asked me what I wanted, and uh, I told him, I wanted an English Standard Version because I didn't have one and I knew that's what this church uses. And so I needed one just so I could keep up Sunday by Sunday by Sunday. And then I told him, I want it with a green cover. He said, why a green cover? I said, because I want to be reminded that when I'm green, I'm growing. When I'm ripe, I'm beginning to rot. <laughs> now, there's a great temptation, not just in a 70-year-old's heart, but in every one of our hearts, to come to that place where we think we know enough, know it all. God forbid. When you're green, you're growing. 
When you're ripe, you're beginning to rot. I am so grateful. Jane and I are both grateful beyond any words to express to be members of South Spring Baptist Church with you. It is a blessing beyond any words to describe. So this morning I want to start by reading from my new English Standard Bible from the book of John chapter 3. And I want to go back to where Paul ended a couple of weeks ago, John chapter 3 verse 14, and I'll read through verse 21. Would you stand with me as I read from God's holy word? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Father in heaven, you are our hope. Lord Jesus, you paid it all. Holy Spirit, you bring it all alive in our hearts. May we hear you in your still small voice speaking to our hearts. And by, and by your grace, through faith, may we respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Our lives, every one of us, our lives are so important to God. That's an understatement. The words that are before us this morning speak to us of just how much an understatement those words are. Our lives, we're all important to God beyond any words to express fully we are important to God I also want to read about that from later in the gospel of John just to show us or to remind us it's amazing to me how all of the Bible fits together it just it's just all complementing each other. 
You look here and then you're amazed at what you find there. God is seeking, and he always has been, and he always will be as long as Jesus tarries his coming. He, he's seeking to gain our attention. He wants us to listen to him. Hath God really said that temptation that Satan gave in the Garden of Eden? Yes, God has really said. God really wants man to listen to him. But there is a way, Proverbs 14, 12, and 16, 25 say, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Man wants to go his own way, but God is always seeking to bring man home to him because God the Father knows best, and he wants us to listen to him. And it all begins with how much he loves us. If, you, if you're gripped in your heart by how much the Father in heaven loves you, then you pay attention to the one who loves you. The more a child understands how much mother and daddy love that child, the more the child pays attention to mama and daddy. Father, mother, they know best. I need to listen. No one knows so much, no one knows best like our heavenly Father does. So as we read from John chapter 3, let me now read to you about how much the Father loves you from John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. This is Jesus praying for you. Before he died on the cross, just before, just before his betrayal and arrest, Jesus prayed what's called the high priestly prayer. In that prayer, literally, he prayed for us. He begins in John chapter 17, verse 20, with these words. Jesus praying, I do not ask for these only. He's saying, I'm not just praying for those who are right here with me. I do not pray or do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. They would speak the truth, the gospel, and others would believe. And generation after generation of believers have spoken this gospel, and others have believed down to our believing today. Jesus was praying for us in John chapter 17. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. God loves us and God has a mission for our lives. God wants us, all of us, to be used of him to help the whole world know that he is God, that he sent his son to be the savior of the world. And God is always at work in the hearts of his people to will and to do of his good pleasure. And at the heart of what he's seeking to do is to make us one in him, one with one another, that the world may believe he really is the son of God. Only God could make that kind of difference in us. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they, may, that they may be one, even as we are one. 
I in them and you in me that they, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus praying to the Father, wanting us to know that the Father loves us just as the Father loves his Son. You're that important to God. That important to God. He loves you even as he loved his Son. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you, may, that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. The Father loved the Son before the foundation of the world and the Father decided before the foundation of the world. He made the choice that he would love us through his Son just as he loved his Son. And the reason we're going to heaven because Jesus paid the price and this verse teaches us Jesus asked the Father for us to be there. He wanted us to see the glory of the Son of God that was his from the foundation of the world. He wanted us to see it. He wanted us to know it. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me, talking about in heaven where I, where I will be, where I am, to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have, known, I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Christ in you, in me, our hope of glory. All that God is, he is in Christ. And all that he is in Christ, he is in me. And all that he is in me, he wants to be through me. That others might see him and know him too. God loves us. Your life matters to God. He has chosen you. You're on mission for him. He wants the world to know who he is. He wants the world to know how much he loves them. And it's his presence in your heart, Christ in you, the hope of glory, that you might participate with him in his glory for all of eternity. It's amazing how much he loves us and that to which he's called us. Now, life is a journey. In this world, it's a passing journey. And we need to make the most of it. Um, my wife, Jane, Johnny's mother, John's mother, John Noble Jr.'s mother, Jane, uh, she retired two years ago in May from being a teacher first and then a school librarian. And um, it began to become very clear in my heart that uh, a passage in Psalm 90 that I had uh, read often and preached from some over 40 years and more of preaching um, 
that it wasn't just out there in the future anymore. It was happening. These words, Psalm 90, verse 10, and then verse 12. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. That's 70. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it's soon cut off, and we fly away. We both turned 70 last July. Yes, Lord, you're getting my attention. (laughs) Then verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Lord, you've got my attention. Now teach me to make the most of every day you give me. You know my days before one of them comes to be. I don't know them, but you know them, Lord. You know every one of them. Teach me to make the most of each of those days that I may apply my heart unto wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. God wants to give us his wisdom to apply ourselves to those things that really do matter. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17, Paul amplifies on that. He says, wake up. He's writing to believers. So if you're a believer, he's writing to you in Ephesians 5, verse 14 through 17. Wake up. He says to believers, wake up, you who are sleeping. Rise up from the dead. He says, you're living as if you were spiritually dead. There's no difference in you than there is in the, in the ordinary people out there who are also living in spiritual death. Wake up, rise up, you who are sleeping. Rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Christ will shine on you. See then, as Christ shines upon you, as Christ shines within you, see then that you walk, King James Version says, circumspectly, very carefully, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. When we, in the power of God's Spirit, rise up from the spiritually dead, let Christ shine upon us, within us, he reveals to us that which is the will of God, that we might walk in our Father's will and redeem these numbered days that the Father gives to us for the glory of his name. I read a devotional this past week about there are things that we get to do here. That'll be behind us when we're there with him in heaven. The kind of faith in which we walk, one day it'll be sight. Getting to share Christ with those who don't yet know him, that'll be behind us in heaven. There are many things that we do here by grace through faith that will be in our past when we're there. God wants us to make the most of this opportunity, these opportunities that he gives us day by day. And so I'm learning a new verse. This one I haven't known until I'm learning it recently and still in the process of learning it. Psalm 71, verse 18. When I am old and gray, God, 
do not abandon me. (laughs) Then will I proclaim your power to another generation, your strength, your mighty acts to all who are to come. And so this becomes the, the prayer of my heart, the prayer of my life. When I was a young pastor, God gave me a vision that, well, he, I already knew I wasn't going to be like anyone else that ever stood in a pulpit. Um, when a man who worked for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes uh, spoke to me in a um, winter Bible conference up in Snow Mountain, Colorado in the last week of December of 1969, he said to me, John, when are you going to go to seminary? Nobody had ever asked me that. I'd never thought of that, literally, never thought of it. I said to him, Ron, I don't look like a preacher. I don't act like a preacher. And I sure don't sound like a preacher. How could I be a preacher? And he said two words. That's why. Sometimes God wants to take the weakest, the meekest, the most timid, the most shy among us, and do something in us and through us that when it's done, only God can get the glory. So he takes a baker's son, a simple boy from Mount Pleasant, and does with me what only he could do. (laughs) Saved me when I was 10, protected me, Gave me this wife who praised me through. <laughs> it's a struggle. <laughs> she does. She gave me once when we were first together uh, in marriage a, a little rock, just about that big. It had written on it, 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. When God calls you to something, he's going to do it. If it's to be married, if it's to be a parent or a grandparent or a pastor or a tailor, whatever it may be to which he calls you, he will strengthen you for it that through you he might bear his fruit and bring himself glory. God knows what God is about and he wants to keep doing it in all the days of our lives. Now, the further I go, the slower I get. And it seems that everything's moving faster all around me, especially if their names are Maddie, Micah, and Cade. (laughs) There isn't any way my legs keep up. Sometimes it's hard even for my eyes to keep up where they are. But God has never blessed me anymore, or Jane than he has through these three grandchildren. For in their lives, we get to learn more of the love of God than we have ever known before. In this amazing grace adoption of these three precious children. Until you know something of the adoptive love of God... You don't know God in his love as he wants you to know it. 
God has one only begotten son. Everyone else is adopted. God wants each of us in some way, literally or spiritually, by faith, to understand what it means to be adopted by God and as that love of God flows through us, to adopt others. God wants us to understand his love. Oh, how grateful we are. So much in this world changes, but the most important things, the eternal things, God and his word stay the same. He's an unchanging God. <laughs> oh, me. He's the same, Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Psalm 119, 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God and his word never, ever change. God wants us to be his people of faith and hope and love, and the greatest of these is love. For all who come to know God through faith in his son, life becomes a journey of faith and hope and love. So now, at 70, we enter a new season of life. And we're grateful. We have a, a living area in our new home here. And we have the four pictures of our four children and their families around a little plaque. And the plaque is 3 John verse 4. I have no greater joy. We have no greater joy than to hear that our children walk in the truth. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep loving. I don't think there's any... There are two things that I would say to you. You can't be any more of significance in your children's lives than this. Number one... Let them learn from you what it means to be a good forgiver. Ten hardest words in the English language for a man. I am sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? God says to us, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Gentlemen, you're to lead in that in your family. The other thing. Let your children be amazed when they're looking for you to open a door and find you on your knees praying. No bigger impact will you ever make upon them. And when you forgive, ask to be forgiven, and then they see you on your knees praying for them. Let them see. I'm supposed to get to my message. <laughs> um, wow. A few months ago, Chris just walked up one Sunday morning and said, 
in the book of John, which is your favorite verse? So that's all he did. I said, John 3.16. It wasn't hard. That's the first verse I ever memorized in my whole life. I was that tall. Pre, um, beginner, back then we called it in Sunday school. I memorized it very early. The truth of it has stayed with me in all my days, and there is no greater truth in all the world. My favorite King James Version, 25 words. It's 24, 25, 26, according to which version you use. But King James Version, 25 words. My favorite 25 words I know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now those words are worth your memorizing. You can build the foundation of your life for eternity. God will build the foundation of your life for eternity upon the truth that, are, that is found in those 25 words. They're not only worth your memorizing, they are worthy of your meditation. They are worthy of you taking the time to sit at the feet of Jesus and let him teach you the depth and the height and the breadth of what that love is all about. For God, the greatest lover, so loved the greatest degree, the world, the greatest company that he gave, the greatest act, his only begotten son, the greatest gift that whosoever the greatest opportunity believeth the greatest simplicity in him the greatest attraction should not perish the greatest promise but the greatest difference have the greatest certainty eternal life the greatest possession Oh, me. Think of all you know about God. Every verse you've ever learned. In the beginning, God created. Elohim. Plural ending. Letting us know from the very beginning, He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Think about Him and all you know about Him. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Jehovah Reah, the Lord our shepherd. Just think about the words by which God has revealed a little bit of himself to you from different aspects like exploring the different aspects of a fine diamond. You look at God through the words that he uses to speak of himself. That one who is God is the greatest lover that there could ever be. God is love. And he wants us to know it. He is the greatest lover.
he so loved the greatest degree. Now, in the Greek New Testament, there are four words for love. Uh, one is phileo, which speaks of friendship love. One is storge, that speaks of um, famili- family love. One is eros, that speaks of sexual love. And the other that's so much used is agape, that speaks of God's love. Again, when I was a very young boy, I, I first heard that agape God's love defined in this way. God's love is a yearning, burning desire for and delight in the highest possible good of another. That's what God has for you and me. A yearning, burning desire for and delight in our highest possible good. He knows what that good is. He knows what he wants to give us, and he loves us that much that he has paid the price knowing from eternity past, before he ever created man on the face of this earth, he already knew the price he would have to pay that we might have eternal life. And he chose that long ago to love us that much. He so loved the world. Now, that takes in everybody, every nation, every creed, You name that person, God's love takes them in. Doesn't mean they will receive him, but his love is sufficient. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He died not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. That which Jesus did on the cross is sufficient for all people's sin everywhere in every age, no matter who they are or what they've done or what they've believed before. Jesus is seeking to reveal himself and bring them to him. He so loved the world that he gave. When you love, you can't help but want to give to those whom you love. And he gave. His only begotten son. If you want to look that up, look in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. But let me go on. He gave, he, he gave his only begotten son the greatest gift. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 4, 10. He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Romans 8, 32. That whosoever, the greatest opportunity. God means whosoever. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God showed his love to us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation for whosoever, there's that word, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. Believeth the greatest simplicity. To as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. There's a verse in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. King James Version says, Look to me and be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I think the New English Version says, Turn to me. And be saved. There was a 15-year-old boy in England a long time ago. His granddaddy was a preacher. But he didn't know Jesus yet. He thought he needed to go and hear the greatest preachers in England and, and learn from them that some way, somehow, he might really be saved. And so he begins to go to all these churches. And one morning he's going to a big church, but there is a blizzard. And he, hasn't, he can't get there. So he turns down a little alley and he finds the, the smallest of churches. And he goes in the door. The preacher hadn't shown up. He got snowed in. He didn't make it. <laughs> After a few minutes... A frail man stands up. He's a cobbler or a tailor or something like that. No theological background. And he opens his Bible to Isaiah 45, verse 22. And he says, he reads it. Look to me and be ye saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. He says, you don't have to be smart to look. Even I can look. God didn't intend this gospel, this good news, just for smart people. He intended it for common people like me. All he says is, look to me and be ye saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. He said, he, there weren't a lot of people there. He points this young man out and he says, young man, you look miserable. And you're going to stay miserable unless you look to God right now and let him save you. It's just that simple. And this young man whose granddaddy was a preacher, a good one, but a preacher. And he, and he traveled looking for all these great preachers to teach him so he might understand. There in that man's presence who wasn't a preacher, who used this simple verse, Look to me and be ye saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. That morning that young man believed. And his life was changed forever. His name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And he became the greatest preacher in England's history and one of the greatest authors both in what he wrote and how much he wrote in Christian history. Look to me and be ye saved. All you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. God the greatest lover, so loved the greatest degree, the world the greatest company, that he gave the greatest act, his only begotten son the greatest gift, 
that whosoever the greatest opportunity believeth the greatest simplicity in him the greatest attraction the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory is the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth no greater attraction than Jesus should not perish the greatest promise not perish Mary and Martha of whom John wrote a while ago their brother Lazarus got sick they knew Jesus loved them and loved Lazarus they knew Jesus was the great physician they knew he healed people they sent for Jesus but Jesus didn't come They knew one thing. He wanted them to know another thing. Four days Lazarus had been in the tomb. Jesus was there. Martha comes out. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus looks at Martha and Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe. Jesus Christ is not only the great physician. He is the resurrection. They went to the tomb. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth from the dead. For the believer, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Just like that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but the greatest difference. Like when Jesus said, the thief has come to steal and kill and destroy but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus is the great difference maker. Have the greatest certainty. When God, when God gives you something, you can know it's yours forever. Eternal life, the greatest possession. There isn't anything in all the world that can measure up to that. You take away everything you've got, everything you could ever dream of having, and you have eternal life, you've got something worth more than the whole world added together. Jesus said, this is eternal life. John 17, 3. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In John, 1 John chapter 5, verses 11, 12, and 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Or that's verse 13. This is the record that God has given to us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son of God has not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. All of this because God so loved. 
Now, there was a, a physician, a doctor, who was asked, what's the greatest prescription that you've ever given to one of your patients? And he said, love. What do you mean? Everybody needs love. And the person said, what if it doesn't work? And the doctor said, up the prescription. <laughs> God's upped the prescription. It's all there in John 3.16. Will you believe? Look to him and be ye saved. Look to Jesus and live. Father, work the miracle in each of our hearts. And through us, let us share the truth that others too might believe. In his blessed name, amen.